Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. In some ways, I think our gospel read for this morning is a hard text. It's a hard text because on its surface, it's so very simple and straightforward. So I think there's a danger in oversimplifying it. I mean, it's, reading is also used on Thanksgiving. It's one that propers for Thanksgiving that we'll use in November. And so one of the themes is right there in your face, yeah? Give Thanksgiving. It's one of the things Jesus asked. Where are the other nine? Who else? Why don't they return and give glory to God? Why don't they come and give me thanks? So that's right there in our face. But there's other things going on here as well that are important for us to understand I think the fullness of what's happening in Luke chapter 17. The first thing I want to look at in that regard is leprosy. And what is a picture of throughout the Bible? Now we should say there's all kinds of debates. Is the leprosy in the Bible the exact same thing as the leprosy today? Who cares? That's not the point. I mean, it may be, it may not be exactly the same, but it's similar enough that we understand what's going on here when we say leprosy. The bigger issue, though, in the text not so much the particular disease, but what it represents and what it cuts these men off from. To have leprosy was to have the mark of death on you before you actually died. It turned you kind of into a walking corpse, right? Parts of your skin and flesh were dying. So that before your actual death, you resembled someone who was dead. It was a living death that disqualified them from God's presence. So, they're excluded from the sanctuary, they cannot partake of the holy food, and they're even cut off, most of the time, depending on how severe it gets, from common meals and common life. So they have to live outside of the city limits, outside the boundaries of the people, outside the camp. And so throughout the Bible, leprosy is a picture of sin and death. It's a picture of what's going on inside of us. And yet they walk around wearing it on the outside. And so throughout the Bible, it shows us how gross, disgusting, and deadly our sin is. That's one of the main pictures of leprosy from beginning to end throughout Scripture. So bad, in fact, as I mentioned several weeks ago, that if your house had leprosy, and after the second time it wasn't cleansed, they just leveled it. It was done. They tore it down. And then you had to rebuild. I mean, think about how this, if you want to think about how ugly sin is, just think about the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5 that we just heard. They're disgusting and vile. And yet those are what our flesh wants to produce. Those are the kind of things they can do on their own. So the key thing with leprosy, and sin for that matter, is that it has to be cleansed. You have to be cleansed from it. And so, in fact, what would happen is, when the leprosy finally went away, you would come, show yourself to the priest, the priest would certify, yes, the leprosy's all gone, and then you would undergo various cleansing rituals. That included sacrifices. That included blood being put on you. So, for example, they take some blood from the sacrifices, and they put it on your right ear, on your right hand, and on your right foot so that you could again properly hear God's word, so you could properly touch the holy things, and so you could stand on holy grounds. 
And then you'd be sealed with oil so that that stuff wouldn't stick, so to speak, so that you would stay clean. So you'd stay clean from the leprosy. It's also interesting, too, and actually it's the children will hear about more about this on Tuesday as we look at Leviticus chapter 1. But one thing they did with the sacrifices that you may find a little odd is that they would wash the insides before burning them. And that seems a little strange, right? I mean, they're going to be burned anyway. But again, it's a picture that we need cleansing inside and out. Right? The sacrifices for sin pointed forward to Christ's work. And Christ's work is to do what? Cleanse us. Inside and out. To heal our flesh. That's what we hear in Proverbs chapter 4. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your hearts. Why? Why should we do this? For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Right? I mean, this is why we have Proverbs 4 this morning for our reading. This line right here. That is the word of God, the word of Jesus, that is life and health to our flesh, to our whole being. (laughs) Psalm 119. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. What is it that restores our flesh? What is it that cleanses us? It is the very word of God. We hear in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The word griefs there, that's in most English translations, literally is your sicknesses. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. When Jesus tells the man, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well, you can translate that your faith has saved you. It's not either or, it's both ands. Christ brings salvation to you, body and soul. And even if right now your body is failing you, it will be raised up on the last day, perfectly whole, perfectly undefiled, working 100% properly, glorified in a way that we can barely think or imagine. That is what we have in store for us because of Christ's death, because of his resurrection, because in his death, he bore not just our sin, our guilt, and shame, but the consequence of that sin, guilt, and shame including our failing bodies. So the first thing we need to see that leprosy has this picture of sin and the cleansing itself is a beautiful, wonderful picture of what Christ does for us, is doing for us even right now. He is cleansing us. We need cleansing from the leprosy of sin. Right? If you think about, too, the way you read in the Old Testament, the way leprosy kind of grows, and how they have to keep going back to have it checked. If it's grown this much then now you're kicked outside the camp, all those kind of things. Think about in terms of your own sin. When it's left unchecked, when you don't repent, it grows, it defiles you. It becomes worse. It doesn't just go away. It has to be dealt with. We're told here that's dealt with through Christ's death, through his resurrection, and then he gives us the benefits of that through his holy word that cleanses us that restores and gives us life and true health in him. So that's the first thing we need to look at. The second thing is something that's a little different. Perhaps on first glance we may not think about it, 
But I want to consider the issue of fellowship and anti-fellowship that's going on here. It's kind of odd. Jews and Samaritans hate each other. They want nothing to do with each other. They mock each other. They despise each other. We hear their hatred even in the text of the New Testament. And yet, we've got ten guys hanging out together, and at least one of them is a Samaritan. What brought them together? It's their leprosy. They had something in common now. That was bigger than their racial divide. That was bigger than some of the spiritual divides between them. They came together because now they are one because they share in this affliction. And this is more important than it may seem at first glance. The fact is, everyone, every single person, is looking for an identity, they're looking for security, and they're looking for meaning. This is first commandment stuff. And the Bible says wherever you find your identity, how you define yourself, wherever you find your security, what makes you feel safe, and how you find meaning in your life, that thing is your God. But I would also argue that you tend to congregate and gather to those who find their identity, security, and meaning the same stuff, same things. Which means what happens is they form a fellowship. Or in the language I'm using, they form an anti-fellowship, an anti-church. They're brought together over the wrong thing. I mean, look around at our culture. How many different little groups are broken off and define themselves by things the Bible says are sin, that they're wicked, that make them unclean? The very thing they should be cleansed from, they've gathered together around those things and made it a mark of fellowship. On the other hand, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be baptized. Baptism ends in ISM, which is why I like the identity, security, and meaning acronym. Because we are to find our identity, security, meaning in our baptism. And your baptism places you within the church. It places you in that fellowship. One of the things that that means for us, and one of the things you see with Jesus here with these ten men, we don't have to be afraid of these anti-fellowships. We need to go to them, go into their midst, and declare to them that they can be clean, that they can be free, that they can have their sins forgiven, that there's a better fellowship. There's a better place for them to be. That their identity, security, and meaning is not bound up in those sins and those lifestyle choices that are sinful, but instead it's found in Christ who brings them true healing, who brings them his holy gospel, who really sees them for who they are. Right? They cry out from a distance because they're unclean. It says Jesus looked at him and he saw them. He saw them and he saw their need. And so to us as Christians, we go to these people and we're not afraid, we're not scared of these anti-fellowships. But we go into the very midst of them and declare that there's a better way, a better fellowship, a better place for them to belong, to have their whole lives defined. We bring them hope and cleansing and peace. I mean, think about it for a moment. If you just look around the room, this group of people would not be gathered here for any other purpose. This isn't a group of people that just would decide one day, hey, we're all going to hang out. I don't mean that in a mean way. 
Just the facts that the blood of Christ brings us together in a way that other things do not. <coughs> We're together here this morning as a group, as a fellowship, as a congregation, because the blood of Jesus has brought us near to him and cleansed us and made us a family. Not a family of our own choosing, but one that God has placed us into. Now next week, because of Paul's words in Galatians, we're going to see a lot about what this fellowship looks like. But for this morning, I think it's enough to see that everyone, every single person, truly needs this fellowship. They need the church. They need to be brought together under the blood of Jesus, not by these other things that define them. Now, moving out of that, the heart of this story, and the reason we have this text on Thanksgiving, centers around ingratitude and thanklessness versus gratitude and thankfulness and thanksgiving. Hear what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, if you remember, Paul, for nearly half of chapter 1, a little over half of chapter 1, is going through all the ways in which people have rejected God, even though they could see God in nature, even though various parts of God's character and attributes are revealed in nature, they reject him. And then Paul says, because although they knew God, that is, they could see that he existed, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Ingratitude and thank, being thankless is a mark of unbelief. It's a mark of paganism. Right? That's what Paul says. They were unthankful. I mean, think about all the things he lists in Romans chapter 1, all the wicked, horrible things they do, but he says one of the things that defines them is that they're thankless. They don't give thanks to God. Now, that's interesting, right? I mean, we have in our day and age, and these things aren't bad, but gratitude journals are kind of like all the rage, right? Tons of people do them. And the fact is, even an atheist can have a gratitude journal. They can be grateful for things they have in their lives. The difference is, they cannot give thanksgiving. To whom would they give it? They don't give thanksgiving to the giver of all good gifts. So Paul isn't saying they can't be grateful for anything. Paul's saying they may have a little bit of gratitude for stuff, but they do not then turn from the gift to the giver. It stops there. It doesn't go beyond that. Johann Gerhardt says, Ingratitude is a harsh wind that dries up the dew of divine gifts, for whoever is ungrateful for what he receives is not worthy of receiving more. He goes on to say there are always two vices in ingratitude, falsehood and dishonesty. An ungrateful man is a liar because he attributes good deeds to himself. He is dishonest because he does not repay the one whom he has received the good deeds. Right? So, you can have that maybe a little bit of gratitude, but if it does not turn into a full-fledged thanksgiving to the giver of all good gifts, we're lying and deceiving ourselves. Luther, on Psalm 118, his favorite psalm, he says that our problem is that we walk around with blinders on. And so we do not see the good gifts that God has so richly poured out upon us moment by moment every day. So 
to paraphrase him a little bit as he goes through these things, think about all the things you had already this morning that are good gifts from God that we tend to take for granted. If you woke up today in a house, if you were able to get clean water without any issues, if you had food and clothing, family, friends, pets, etc., 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 those are all God's good gifts. Think about how easy it is for you to get here because pretty sure we all came in cars. And think about all that goes into getting a car and just getting to this place. Think about all the ways in which God, through various people, made it so that you had a car that was functioning, gas in your car, roads to drive on, and we could multiply that by thousands of parts of your car, could multiply that by all the things that go into making roads. All of those things are ways in which God blesses you. So Luther will say the richest man on earth, if he didn't have clean water or clean air to breathe, he would trade his riches for those things. Now look, you live in Pagosa Springs. You have some of the cleanest air in the country. What are your thoughts towards it day in and day out? Or the beauty that surrounds you? Our Lord warns us in Deuteronomy 8. He was warning the people of Israel there specifically, but then it applies just as well, that when they got into the land, and as he's blessing them with all this stuff and all these beautiful things, he says to be on guard, to be careful. He says, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, so he says, when you start to have all these blessings from God that we have in a far greater measure, let's be honest, than the people of Israel did, I mean, even Solomon all his wealth and splendor would be pretty amazed at things you have in your home today. But what does the Lord say? And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And you begin to say, with my hands, with my hands I have all this stuff. It's all because of what I've done. I think this is one of the reasons these blinders is why we complain so very much. We complain so very much because we focus on the things we lack, the things we don't have, rather than the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of gifts God gives us day in and day out. And we treat them as if they're nothing. And, and we're not even talking about the spiritual gifts yet. We haven't talked about those. We're just talking about what we call first article gifts. The physical temporal gifts God blesses us with. If you add in eternal life and salvation to that mix, you can see why the Bible tells us that we should be full of thanksgiving. Which is the next part, that we are to have gratitude thanksgiving. We are to lament and fight our lack of thanksgiving, our ingratitudes. That is not to be the mark of the Christian. Gerhard says, true gratitude, however, must be properly constituted. It's not just with the tongue that we must say, Lord, I thank you. For God has blessed you not only with a tongue, but with a body and soul as well. So with all your body, soul, strength, 
members, you must praise and give thanks to God for all his good gifts. Luther says a helpful thing to do, he says this in the large catechism, a helpful thing to train ourselves, to help us with the sinful flesh that wants to be complaining and ungrateful and not give thanks, is to learn when any good thing ever happens to us, to the first words out of our mouth to be thanks be to God's. Thanks be to God. Could that be our first response? A man who is kind of amazing with this, who you may not know much about, but his biography is quite fascinating. I realize in our day and age, perhaps mentioning his name is, is not, not wise, but he was a godly man regardless of what you think about the war. Samuel Jackson, who was a general for the South, is an amazing man. His biography records this. Whenever he would do something, even if he took a sip of water, it is recorded that he would give thanks to God. If he mailed a letter to someone, so maybe in our day, send an email or send a text or something, he would pray God's blessing upon that person. He was just in the habit of doing these things. He was known for his piety. This is the kind of thing Luther's talking about. To be in this mindset, this attitude of giving thanks, because that's what Paul says we should do. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This isn't just something Luther made up, or that Stonewall Jackson made up, or other Christians throughout history. Something Paul says is the mark of a Christian. Think about how many times when Paul goes to pray, and he records his prayer for us, or says, I going to pray for you, or I pray for you, he always starts with what? I give thanks. That is what the Christian does. We give thanks. When you see all that God has given us, how could we not give thanks? And one thing is going back to what I said about gratitude being different than thanksgiving. There are a whole lot of things in our life that we may not be extremely grateful for. We may not... Be grateful when we get the news from a doctor that we're quite ill. We may not be thankful when we find out that we've lost, be grateful when we find out we've lost our job. Those things sting and they hurt. But we can still give thanksgiving even for the things we're struggling to be grateful for. Right? Think about Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How is it that Christians are able to give thanks for all things, even those things we struggle to be grateful for? It's because ultimately we have our trust in the one who is in control of all things, and we know that he knows what is best for us. And so with Job, we can still say, thanks be to God, even when things don't look well. Even when what we've received, the news we've received, the diagnosis we've received, whatever's happened, we may not be able to be grateful for it in the moment, but we can look at it and say, thanks be to God, Apparently, I needed this. One of the fascinating things here, this gratitude and thanksgiving that flows from a Christian heart is part of repentance. You'll notice, the ten are going on their way, Jesus sent them, and what does the one do? He turns. He turns back to Jesus. And he falls at his feet, and he worships Jesus as the one true God. Notice how it's put for us. With a loud voice, he glorified God 
And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He saw Jesus as the one true God to whom thanks was owed. So he's headed in one direction, and he realizes he's healed, and what does he do? He turns around. It's a beautiful picture of repentance. Repentance leads to thanksgiving. Now one of the dangers in all of this is we begin to think, how can I make myself thankful? There's a problem with that, because you can't really make yourself thankful. I mean, kind of fake it. But to be truly thankful in the way the Bible's talking about is something that happens from knowing and understanding reality because you've had and received the gospel. And the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, works in you true thanksgiving. One of the names for the Lord's Supper historically is the word the Eucharist. Now that name's been abused and misused in a lot of ways over the years in church history. And so it's not a word we use a lot even here in this congregation. But it comes because on the night when Jesus betrayed, he gave thanks. Eucharisteo. Right? He gave thanks. And so one of the things Christians understood about what happens at the Lord's Supper is that we receive Christ's body and blood, and what is our response? We say, Amen. I've got it. Thanks be to God. Christ has given me his body and blood to eat and drink. So that the fullest celebration of thanksgiving that the church really has is as we gather at the holy communion rail, as we gather around the holy altar, and we receive the greatest gift of Christ. And that gift, along with his holy words throughout the service, produces in us thanksgiving. So that we can say, no matter what happens or no matter what the circumstance, we can look at the good gifts, we can look at the things that we think are bad gifts, and we can say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Which is tied in with something else we see with this leper that has been healed, the Samaritan. He shows us ultimately that true faith is not merely about gratitude, it's about faith. He comes back because he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He comes back and falls at his feet because he has faith, he has trust in who Jesus is and what he's done. He took them at his words. He relied on his sacramental gifts. And so one of the things faith does is it keeps returning and going back to Jesus. It desires more. It wants more from him. Not because it's greedy and sinful, because it sees Jesus as the source of every blessing. We can't separate a faith that gives thanks from a faith that's driven to keep going back to Jesus for every blessing. They're inseparable. Faith keeps us coming to him, keeps us falling at his feet to receive from him that we might turn around and say thanks be to God. One of my biggest pet peeves when Lutherans talk about the divine service, and generally this happens to be a certain group of Lutherans or very new Lutherans, they've been taught the divine service means God serves you. And that's good and that's right. God does serve you here. But then they ask if that's all that happens here. And that's wrong. 
Because we've received his good gifts and faith, we respond throughout the entire service with thanksgiving. How could we not? Faith receives the gift and it responds in thanksgiving. That's what faith does. Consider Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your mouth, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? All of that takes place day in and day out for you as a Christian. It takes place right now. You receive all these gifts. And so what happens? We can't help but confess and cry out, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. We don't want to forget his benefits. So we receive them in faith and respond, Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God passes on understanding, guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.